Luke chapter 9, verses 18 to 22. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, Who do the crowd say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Today we've come to the, a watershed in the Gospel of Luke. From this point on, we're going to see a significant change in its emphasis. Up until now, the focus has been on discovering who Jesus is. The focus has been on Jesus's ministry and his identity as the disciples try to fathom just who this bloke is that they've been following. Up until now, we've been hearing a lot about the miracles and the authority of Jesus. And we've been told that he's been teaching, and we've been specifically told that he's been teaching about the kingdom of God. But apart from one sermon, uh, back at the Sermon of the Plain, we, we actually really haven't heard a lot of that teaching ourselves. Have you noticed that as we've been working our way through? I, I certainly have, because as a preacher and as a Bible teacher, I want to teach you what Jesus taught. Um, and I've been itching to know what he has been teaching about the kingdom of God. And so when we get told, oh, and he spoke to them about the kingdom of God, I go, well, what did he say? I, I want to know that. Um, I want to hear it. I want to know it. I want to do it. And I want to pass Jesus' teaching on to you. And the kingdom of God is what we should be desiring. As disciples of Jesus, the way we respond to the gospel has to be about kingdom living. Would you agree with that? I hope so. That, that as disciples of Jesus, the way that we respond to the gospel has to be about living as good citizens of the kingdom of God. Anyway, we are now at a point in the gospel where everything changes. And from this point on, we're going to hear a fair bit of kingdom teaching. And even today, we get to have a bit of a glimpse that the kingdom of God turns everything on its head. That the way things are in the world, the kingdom of God turns all that over. And it begins today. Not everything is as it seems. When we get to chapter 13, we'll be given a picture of how the last will be first and the first will be last. This is sort of the image of what it means for the kingdom of God to, to be all different, completely different to the way of the world. As the, as the disciples discover the truth that Jesus is the Christ of God, Jesus now focuses more so on directly instructing his disciples. He's preparing them for his coming death and he's preparing them for their ministry because once he's gone, um, they're going to be carrying on what Jesus has begun. And this, in all of this preparation that Jesus is giving his disciples, 
is where we learn a lot about kingdom living. We learn what it means to be a disciple of Jesus in a fractured and broken world. We learn what it means to be a disciple of Jesus living out the kingdom of God in the midst of a world that has utter disdain for our Lord and utter disdain for his kingdom. Jesus prepares us for that. Righto. So Jesus has just gone off with just him and his disciples and he's been praying. And he says to his disciples, who do the crowd say that I am? He's wanting to get them thinking. Why do these people flock after Jesus? Why do they come? Why do they listen? Who do they say that I am? And the answer was John the Baptist. Most folk thought that Jesus was John the Baptist come back to life again. But Jesus, some folk think that you're Elijah and some reckon that you're one, one of the other Old Testament prophets. You see, they all recognised that there was something prophetic about Jesus. He was a t- preacher. He was announcing the coming kingdom of God. He was proclaiming the need to repent and to turn to God. And all that stuff is the sort of stuff that a prophet does. And the people recognised that. But then Jesus pointed the finger at the disciples. He says, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And the answer that we give to that question is the most important realisation, the most important decision that you will ever make. Who do you say that Jesus is? What is Jesus to you? Is he a nice man? Is he a good teacher? Is he a bestower of good morals to live by? Is he a mythological figure? Is he a fairy tale? Or is he to you the Christ of God and therefore your Lord? Who do you say that Jesus is? Because who you believe that Jesus is, this will determine how you live the whole rest of your life. Who you believe Jesus is will determine how we live. It'll determine how we die. It'll determine how we relate to other people. It'll determine what we do with our money. It'll determine what we do with our time. It'll shape our morality and our integrity. And it'll determine our present and our future. Who do you believe Jesus is? And when the disciples were asked that, well, Peter, he's never backwards in coming forwards. And he hit the nail on the head. He said, you're the Christ of God. And I think we've got to give Peter a tick for that one. Good, good answer, Peter. But then Jesus said to them, but don't you dare tell anybody else about this. And so it was the correct answer. But I wonder if Peter was correct in his understanding of what that meant when he said that you're the Christ. I suspect not, because Jesus spends from now until his crucifixion explaining to his disciples over and over and over again that he's going to have to die and be raised back to life again. And yet the disciples still didn't seem to get it until after the resurrection. And the reason for this probably all springs back to the nationalistic understanding or or misunderstanding of Messiah. 
You see, when Peter called Jesus the Christ, where does that word Christ come from? Well, it comes from the Greek word Christos. But the disciples and Jesus weren't speaking Greek. It's just written in Greek in our Bibles. They spoke in Aramaic or Hebrew. So Aramaic was, was the, the poor man's version of, of Hebrew, if you like. Um, but it's the same word, I think, in both. Messiah is what Peter would have said. He would have said, you're the Messiah. And the Messiah literally means the chosen one, the anointed one. It's one who has been ceremonially anointed for an office. And so the kings of Israel had been ceremonially anointed with oil. Uh, do you remember when, when King David was anointed, Samuel came up and, and, and put oil upon him? That was a sign that he had been chosen by God to become king, to be set apart, to be the ruler of God's people. Now, in King David, they had a pretty good king. After that, some of them were okay, some of them were downright scoundrels, and some of them were jolly evil. And at this point in history, Israel didn't even have a real king. A foreign power was ruling them. The Romans were ruling them. And so King Herod, he wasn't a real king at all. He was a tetrarch and he was what we call a puppet king. Lauren had the little puppets there and the puppets just do what the kids do, right? And so Herod was a puppet king. The strings of the puppet were being pulled by the real ruler, Rome. And the people hated this. And the people would look back to the golden era of King David where the enemies were put at bay and they couldn't invade the land because Israel was just too strong and God was with them. And, and that, and, but those times have gone, but they looked to the scriptures and they could see a promise, a promise of this new king who had come, a promise of this chosen one, a promise of this anointed one of God, this long-awaited king who would come and be victorious. That's a very loud motorbike. Fourth gear, is that what you're saying? Fourth gear, yeah. And this king would be a glorious king. He'd be a fabulous king. He'd be the best king that they'd ever had and, and that his kingdom it would have no end and his reign would go on forever. And they, they looked at all of these prophecies about this coming king and they named this one that they're waiting for Messiah. Messiah. Can you imagine being an oppressed people? That means that another nation have come in and given you and your country a jolly good flogging and they come in with their military and they rule you and they tax you and, and you are subjugated to them. Can you imagine this oppressed people seeing this promise in the scriptures and the prayer that they would pray, God, send Messiah, send Messiah. And you see that the people, they so hated living under Roman occupation. Many were ready to, to follow whoever claimed to be Messiah because it would be an opportunity for them to take up arms against their oppressors. And there had been numbers of people who had come and claimed to be the Messiah. We're going to now lead you against the Romans. Most of those were also crucified. So that was the general expectation of what Messiah would be. And it's highly likely that that was what Peter expected. 
because it would, his expectations were most likely very similar to the nationalistic expectations of just about everybody else, that Messiah would be a God-sent military ruler who would deliver them from Rome and become a king after the line of David. That was the expectation. But Jesus turned all of that on its head. You know, even today, particularly in the United States, many Christians have the expectation that the kingdom of God is going to break into this world through political means, that we're going to, to elect the right rulers and we're going to legislate the kingdom of God into being. And if the rulers that we have aren't godly, we're going to vote them out. Or, or some people even have the idea we're going to take up arms against these rulers because they're so ungodly. And we're going to kick them out. And we're going to bring the kingdom of God into being through our rulers. Why would people still have that idea today? Jesus turned that expectation on its head 2,000 years ago. Their expectation was that the Messiah would be this nationalistic military victor who conquered and gave them peace. But that is not Messiah. And so Jesus said to his disciples, don't you dare tell anyone that I'm the Messiah. He strictly charged them. He commanded them to tell this to no one. Now, I suspect that if it had gotten out that Jesus was the Messiah, then every crazy zealot would be doing violence in Jesus's name. Just as throughout history, people still do violence in Jesus's name. And if that had happened... Israel's leaders probably would have been happy with Jesus because he would be fulfilling their nationalistic expectations without them having to get dirt on their hands. And if that happened, in the end, he would probably just become another wannabe, detained and executed by Rome as a terrorist or a freedom fighter, depending on your perspective. But the kingdom of God turns everything on its head. That was the expectation. But that is not who Jesus is. Jesus said, the Son of Man must suffer. He hadn't come to be the victorious king. He will come as that at his second coming. His victory was won when God raised him from the dead. And he is going to be crowned victorious when he returns to fulfill his kingdom. But at his first coming, Jesus came as the suffering servant. That's who Messiah is. The suffering of Jesus was a compelling divine necessity. It had to happen. And not only the suffering, it was the rejection as well. It was necessary, completely necessary, for Jesus to be rejected. Rejected by the elders, rejected by the chief priests, rejected by the scribes. Now, I have trouble wrapping my mind around this. How depraved their worship must have been. God came to this world incarnate in the, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And religion couldn't handle it. 
Religion couldn't handle him. Jesus came, God came to those who are meant to be his. The ones who should have known him best, the, the elders, the chief priests, the scribes. And they rejected him. These were the people who had studied the scriptures. They were the experts in God. But they didn't know him. They rejected him. But even this wasn't an accident. It wasn't like Jesus comes and he gets hauled before the religious authorities and put on trial for his life and God goes, oops, didn't see that coming. It wasn't like that at all. It was all part of God's plan. The priesthood are the ones who are responsible for carrying out the atoning sacrifice. And it was the priesthood who were ultimately responsible for the execution of Jesus. At the Passover, Jesus became the sacrificial lamb, a perfect once and for all sacrifice given as an atoning sacrifice for the sins of the many. Through the death of Jesus, your sins are atoned for. Through the death of Jesus, my sins are atoned for. We have forgiveness and righteousness in him. We praise God that Jesus didn't stay dead. On the third day, he was raised. And praise God for that. And this is where we see the glory of God is in the resurrection of his son. And on the day that he returns, all those who have repented and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. Messiah indeed is the mighty deliverer. Messiah indeed is the one who brings peace. Messiah is the one who saves. The Messiah is the one whose kingdom will, will last forever. It just didn't happen how the people expected it. He delivers us from sin. He makes it possible for us to have peace with God. He saves us from eternal judgment and death. And he will reign in his glorious kingdom for eternity. And this is why the gospel is good news. But I must come back to the question Jesus asked. Who do you say that I am? To know that, that Jesus is the Christ is a very personal discovery. It's not about what your parents believe. It's not about what other people think. It's not about what you've been taught and what you can regurgitate. It's not even about what you think. It's about what we believe. It's about what we believe so fervently that, that we will testify to this. Who do you say I am? Was the question Jesus asked. And so when the world rejects Christ Jesus, will you be the one who will stand up and testify that Jesus is the Christ of God? Will you be the one who will testify that he is my Lord? and my saviour will you be the one who will stand up and say i choose to be 
his child, to be his slave. For he is my Lord, he is my master, he is my everything. In a world that hates Jesus and hates followers of Jesus, will you be the one to stand up and say, I'm going against the grain of the world because the kingdom of God turns everything on its head. And this is what I believe. See, Jesus, he wasn't only a prophet. Yes, he was a prophet, but he wasn't only a prophet. A prophet is a messenger, but Jesus is the message. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Christ of God, the Messiah is the message. It's the message that we have. That's the, uh, that's the purpose of the church. We carry this message. We proclaim this message. He is the one we proclaim. But there's a big cost to that. And God willing, we're going to get to that next week. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, you indeed are the Christ of God. This is what we believe. This is what we proclaim. The fact that you are the Christ of God rescues us from our past, keeps us in the present, and is the assured hope of our future. Lord, give us the courage to boldly proclaim that Jesus is the Christ of God. And Lord, I pray that if there be anyone hearing these words, who does not know you as their Christ and as their Lord, that you would impact their lives this very day, that they would have no doubt and that they would surrender to you and that they would say to you, you are the Christ of God and my Lord. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.